Please stand. The text for the sermon this day is taken from Acts chapter 1, which was read earlier. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One little question of the disciples is what I'd like to focus on. They asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time... Restore the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive the power when receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Sometimes Jesus can be a little annoying when people ask questions. Because he doesn't ever, he doesn't like, he doesn't always give an answer. Because, like I said, they're wanting an answer. Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? The problem is, is that there's an answer to that question, but the problem is, is what they mean by their question is not, the answer would actually be completely, no, it's never going to happen the way you think it is. Because the apostles still kind of have it in their mind, even after everything that they have seen, there's still this idea of an earthly kingdom. Even though Jesus has been spending 40 days after being risen from the dead, speaking about the kingdom of God, they still are asking about the earthly Israel kingdom. But the thing is, is the answer to Jesus' question, Jesus doesn't give an answer here, but the, the author of Acts, the writer of Acts, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, which is Luke, gives an answer, actually gives the answer. The answer being yes and not yet. But the problem again is they're ans he's answering a different question. I don't know if you've ever given thought to what it will be like when you enter into eternity. I mean, that very first moment that you, you have died and you have entered and you have stand before the heavenly, before the heavenly choirs by the, the, host, the hosts arrayed in white, when you stand before the Heavenly Father, what that would be like. There are sometimes people will get this imagination that when they stand before God, that they're gonna that God is gonna be kind of 
looking at his list, checking it twice to be sh- make sure whether you've been naughty or not, naughty or nice. Or perhaps he's just doing a measuring and kind of looking, okay, these are the good things this person did. Here's the bad things. And, you know, some good things are better than, um, or a little bit better than others, and some bad things are worse than others. And so he kind of has a bit of a weighted scale. And we believe if that good stuff outweighs the bad, then we will be welcomed in. If it doesn't outweigh the bad then maybe Jesus will be nice and he'll send us to purgatory to work it off a little bit. Or he'll just say, "Ah, not good enough. That is probably the far more popular idea of what that entry to heaven is like than we'd like to admit. There are many people who believe that their works are going to be as what's going to save them. There are many people, if you ask them, why are you going to go to heaven? Their answer is going to be, well, I think I'm a good person. The problem is, the scripture says, no, we're not. None of us are good. There isn't a single person who does good, not even one. Scripture says that if anybody has kept the whole law except for once, you're guilty of breaking it all. So if, if the only thing, if you happen to only, the only sin you've ever committed was somebody asked you if they looked fat in a dress and you said no and you thought they did, that is enough. You have broken the entire law. For example. That's just the little white lies that we will say. That, when you realize that, and the reality is most, if we're being honest, we've broken way, way, way more than that. And even the good things that we do, many of them are tainted with our sin because sometimes we do good things for people when in reality, we, in part of us, we're thinking, if I do this for this person, they're going to do this for me. Or some people, because they are so under the idea that they are saved by their works, the reason they do good is so they can be saved. It's for their own sake. Now, it's not to take away that you know, the things that happen out of that, God works even through those, does work through those things, but it doesn't change the fact that the person in and themselves were being selfish. So if we went by that standard and we were to come before God, and if that was how it was when we entered into the heavenly glories, it would not be a good day. God would look at us and just say, you don't pass, sorry. And then we'll send you away. Another way people might imagine it is that when we enter into heaven or enter into into eternity, that it's going to be kind of a bit like, it's going to look a little bit like Ellis Island. In that there's going to be thousands and thousands of people lining up and there's going to be a single person behind the desk, of course, it's St. Peter, right before the pearly gates. 
and you're going to be standing in line, waiting to get in, hoping you get a good room and a good spot, and, you know, hopefully the pool isn't too busy or whatever. And that's what it's going to be like. That's the way we get this image. And Jesus, we hear about him, and really we're going to get to know him about as well as my grandfather got to know William McKinley when he came to the United States. And that is that there was a signature on his, um, his citizenship that said, William McKinley, and that is it. And that's the way people sometimes might view that that's what it's going to be. Jesus might, if anything, you might get away from him as he's walking by, and that's it. He doesn't have time with so many people. That's the way it might be. And some people say, well, at least it's going to be something. It's much better than the other place. But the thing is, is that is actually to make light. It's not nearly as awesome as it's going to be. Listen to what it says. This is what it says in Ephesians 2. This is Paul writing. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power and the, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is what we are at birth, children of wrath. The reality is those first two examples I gave, reality is as if we got an Ellis Island type thing where we're waiting a long, long time to get in to the promised land, which the United States was for many of them, then that would be good. Because that, even that is more than we deserve. Because reality is we do deserve wrath. We deserve for God to turn us away and say, look at what you've done. Or he did, we deserve that when we come, the angels and all the, the, the apostles are going to be like, look at what you did. I know what you did on Tuesday, such and such date. I know what you were thinking right there. We can't let your kind in. That's what we deserve. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. But notice that part. Raised us up, with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That hymn that we sang a little bit ago, and I know it was not a familiar one for many of you, because it didn't get, it wasn't actually published until the 1970s, so it's fairly new. 
But listen to this third verse again, the words. To our lives of wanton wandering, send your spirit promise guide through our lives of fear and failure, with your power and love abide. Welcome us as you were welcomed to an endless Easter tide. See, this hymn is sung, is written. It's imagining what it must have been like when Jesus was ascending into heaven, what the vision must have been like for those angels. This journey that began all the way back at Christmas when we first lit that candle. That candle got lit, reminding us that God has entered into human flesh. Before the incarnation, Jesus had one, actually he wasn't Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, had one nature. He only had a divine nature. He left the eternal glories with a divine nature. He entered into the womb of the Virgin Mary. And he took on human flesh. And so since this day of Christmas, we've been focusing on the, on the life of Jesus, the earthly ministry. This candle was just extinguished. Reminding, it's symbolic of his, the end of his earthly ministry. That he has ascended into heaven. And see, he left, he left the eternal glories. He went on the ultimate mission trip with a single purpose to save the world by his death and his resurrection. He entered into human flesh, and now on his ascension, he is ascending into heaven as God and man. And having conquered sin, death, and the devil. And so you can imagine the angels. It says here at the very beginning, up through endless ranks of angels, cries of triumph in his ears. So you can imagine just angels beyond your, your beyond the mount you can number. Think as many as the stars are in the sky, even more than that, standing there and singing and celebrating our Lord who is returning in triumph with a physical body and yet also God. But in this verse it says, welcome us as you were welcomed. See, when you go, Jesus talks about it in the parable of the lost sheep, in the parable of the lost coin, or the parable of the prodigal son as it's commonly called. What happened when that coin was found? The woman threw a, threw a party. What happened when that sheep was found? There was a celebration. What happened when the younger son returned? They celebrated. Do you know what's going to happen when you enter into eternity? The angels are going to sing. There's going to be a celebration. It will be the greatest celebration. You know, so much of our life in this world, we want to be noticed. We want people to realize that we are here. We want to feel like we matter. But the thing is, the reality is that when we, when we breathe our last breath on this earth, those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb will enter into eternity. And when we enter, it will be with singing, with celebration, 
We will be entering up through endless ranks of angels, cries of triumph in your ears. And you will be sitting. You are, gonna, you are a brother of Jesus by his blood. You're going to be celebrated and you're going to be, it's going to be celebrated as a prince, as a returning king. Again, not because, and there's actually, I like there's a, um, there's a, there's a pastor. He makes the comments that, you know, what's going to happen is when you get there, Jesus is going to be standing there with the angels. It's like, he's just going to be bragging about you. It's like, you have no clue how hard I had to work to get that one in there. Let's joy. Let's celebrate. And by the way, Jesus is not just going to be off to the side and not bothering with you. He's going to be with you every day. This is what we have to look forward to. This fourth verse. Alleluia, alleluia. Oh, to breathe the Spirit's grace. So you can imagine when that happens, you know, when you take, close your last eye, your eyes for the last time on this earth, when you breathe your last breath. I think particularly right now of my uncle, uh, Uncle Howard, who is right now, I don't know if he'll make it through the night, um, but very likely I'll be going to his funeral on my vacation. If he were to take his last breath this, this day, or if we, any of us were to take our last breath on this day, we, those who take that breath, take that last breath, die in faith, will breathe the Spirit's grace. You will receive the breath of God. And when you receive that breath, it says here, Alleluia, Alleluia, to see the Father's face. Your eyes, you'll begin to breathe a heavenly breath. And your eyes will begin to open and you will see the Father's face. Alleluia, Alleluia. Oh, to feel the Son's embrace. And Jesus will hold, hug you, embrace you. As you are his, he will celebrate you because you are his child. That's what Ascension Day is about. Ascension Day is about Christ the King ascending into heaven, claiming his throne. And it's about the fact that we, his children, are going to ascend to him as well. That is why we celebrate this every year, that it needs to be celebrated. Hopefully next year when we do this, try to get way more. Because everyone needs, this is such a wonderful treasure. Just close your eyes for a moment and imagine that. Imagine what's coming your way. We need to hear that in a world where there's so much bad. Hearing today about a pastor in Ankeny, who was uh, related to one of our members, the members of my home church. He was murdered in Jamaica, beaten to death. The other missionary was wrapped in barbed wire and left, to, left for dead in the water. That's the world we live in. This last week, we know how people have reacted right now. I mean, this is a lot lesser, but 
We know what's going on, even just people worried about what's going on in our politics. People are already planning on moving to Canada based on what's going on. Oh, to go to a place where that is gone. That's what we're looking forward to. But men, uh, men and women of Northwest Iowa don't look into heaven. You don't have to look into the skies to see Jesus. He is in the word. He is in the bread and wine. He is in the waters of baptism. And more than that, you are here for one particular reason. You're still here. Because the reality is that there are literally billions of people in this world that do not know that faith. Literally billions who will not say that do not believe in Christ. This is what CFW Walther said. Another major duty of, the, of a synod that wants to be and remain an evangelical Lutheran synod is that it not seek its own glory, but only the glory of God, being intent not so much on its own growth, but rather on the growth of Christ's kingdom and the salvation of souls. You see, dear brethren, we are assembled here, not for our own sake. We are in the faith, and by this faith we hope to be saved. But there are still many millions who have no faith. This is why we are here, so that we might bring salvation to as many people as we possibly can, so that the sad situation in Christendom and the corruption of the poor blind heathen might be remedied. Only for this reason does our gracious God allow Christians to live on earth, that they might bring others to the saving faith. Otherwise, God would immediately take a Christian to heaven as soon as he is converted. Why didn't Jesus take those apostles with him? Why not just bring them up there? Because they were to be witnesses from Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Why are you still here? To be witnesses in Northwest Iowa, Iowa, Minnesota, to the ends of the earth. That others may believe, and by believing, have life. Until the day comes that we all join in that Alleluia, and that everlasting Easter celebration. To God be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.